You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Have you been doing more phone or virtual primary care visits than you ever expected at the start of this year? Are you worried about how to keep connected with your patients through these different tools, especially if you're not allowed to see them as you would usually? Are you wanting to be patient-centered in all of this change this year? Yeah, me too. This is Primary Care in a Pandemic. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a medical anthropologist working at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Practice. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor working in the inner city, and I'm faculty in the Department of Family Practice. We're both part of the Primary Care Innovation Support Unit, or the ISU. Virtual care is different from face-to-face. There are pros and cons. It can really help us to provide better access and better continuity if we do it right, but it can also be a barrier for patients who are less comfortable with technology. How do we best engage patients in virtual care? Now, Bonnie Henry recently sent out a message through the college to physicians and surgeons in BC reminding doctors about uh, what we should be offering, and that is a blend of care, including in-person as well as virtual. But how we do this is a real question. And how do you stay connected with your patients when many of them, or even most of your appointments now, are virtual? and probably will be for the foreseeable future. And Morgan, I really like having the virtual options, easier access to my primary care provider. I know that a lot of people feel much less comfortable when they're thinking about seeing a provider on the screen and how could I possibly get good care if I'm not seeing somebody in person. But for me, I really like having that option. And it really is different. It's really easy for it to be just about the thing rather than a full visit. When we spoke with Gray Scheller, he's an RN with years of experience in both care delivery and management of community health centers, he really echoed this. Call me old-fashioned. Like, I think there's just something about face-to-face contact that's not replicable. You know, I think in general with virtual care, one of the things that's really interesting is the way that we've changed kind of time and space Healthcare was about being in a place with a person. I think there's all of those nonverbal cues, you know, that happen, but there's also that kind of intentional, like we're in a room together, this time and space is dedicated to this particular interaction and it shows the value. And I think that when healthcare is reduced to this transactional kind of singular nature, we're losing a lot of the value of longitudinal care. Gray's fears about the transactional nature of virtual care, and with the uptick particularly of the virtual walk-in platforms, is something we're hearing a lot about, both from patients and also from doctors and other providers. So I think it's really important, particularly now, to make sure that providers who have that long-term relationship with their patients extend and provide access to stay connected. You need to do that in a way that's sustainable for you too, right, Morgan? We're hearing about the advantages of virtual care for some patients who otherwise face access challenges. And I got to speak with Kent Lofsgaard, a patient who's been involved in interdisciplinary healthcare programming and training at UBC for the last decade. He's also working with Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, where he supports the orientation of new patient care employees. And he really sees virtual care as a way of being more patient-centered for many people. The response that I get to the sudden proliferation of virtual care is generally, it's about time. (laughs) (laughs) because virtual care in general is the sort of thing that many of us in the disability and chronic condition community have been asking for years. And in the majority of primary care circles, we have heard, oh, it's not practical, it's too hard to do. But then as soon as you have a situation that affects enough people where you can have a critical mass of influence, 
then all of a sudden the system goes, okay, maybe we better figure out how to do that. <laughs> so now that's finally happening. The only thing, the cautionary caveat that I would give against one particular impact of virtual care is that wherever possible, it needs to be at the option of the patient, how they would like to interact with their primary care provider. And Kent is totally right here. Keeping things patient-centered is so important. Being there for a patient is really the main thing. And wherever there is uh, will vary from person to person and even for one person over time. And I think virtual care can be a, a way to show that you're there for them and that trust is well-placed. And I think trust is foundational here. Carolyn Canfield, a citizen patient and ISU scholar, underscored that for us. For me, everything about healthcare is about trust. And it, it doesn't matter what medium we're interacting with the healthcare system as patients. We bring to that presumptive trust. But it's so it's way easier to continue on virtual platforms if you have an established relationship with your healthcare professional, with your clinician. You're continuing on and managing to cope with the inconveniences of telephone, video appointments. And really, it's the existing relationships that help make virtual care a reasonable option. Today, we want to talk about connecting to patients virtually and ideas to support new or improved ways of strengthening connection. So Sarah, that's our first idea for this podcast. We should be using virtual care options as a way to be more patient-centered and keep building out our trusting relationships with our patients. For some, it'll be a replacement for many of the face-to-face -face visits. And for others, it'll be an extension and adjunct to follow up. When using virtual visits, I think it's important for us to remember to be intentional about checking in with our patients, just like we would have done face-to-face -face, and finding out where they are, what's going on, and remembering not to make it that fast digital transaction, making it more human. Really, it's about bringing patients into the team with open communication. And we've touched on this idea before, where things are shifting and changing based on data, the public health guidelines are changing, community context is changing. And this really, I think, highlights the need to have open communication with patients. Let patients know about the kinds of changes that you might be having in, in your office or in your team when you're available to see people face-to-face. -face. Send out regular updates, reaching out to patients either through newsletters or websites and really make an intentional effort, I think, to highlight any changes for your patients in a way that's accessible when you can. Teamlet changes can be another really great kind of change to highlight in this way. If you have new people coming into the team, make sure to do that warm handover and introduce new Teamlet members to your patients. In our conversation with Carolyn Canfield, she told us a story that really spoke to this need for open communication. She highlighted how waiting for virtual appointments is so different than waiting in a waiting room. It's different when you're there in person and the schedule's running late, but not when you're sitting on hold. We're used to different levels of patients for different modalities. Being on hold on a video link feels a whole lot like those annoying commercial relationships. And it really erodes the awareness we have sitting in a doctor's office waiting room realizing that there are other people in need coming and going. This is a really good point. And I don't think about it as a physician until I heard the story. And now I'm so aware of this. It's like those dreaded service lines when we're on the phone forever. And we don't want that to be part of the experience of our patients. And if we're not aware of this, we, we might do it unintentionally, which leads us really to our next idea. 
which is listening to patients and getting feedback. In the time of change, getting feedback is super important. This is a way for patients to be heard and a way for us to adapt in those ways that we don't even know might be causing friction. Find out what's working. Find out where there's room for improvement. This could be simple. This could be just a quick check-in. It could be by email. It could be at the end of a visit when you're talking with somebody. And then the other important part, Sarah, I think is as a cl clinic, as a clinician, showing back that we've heard what, what you've said and we've made a small change. And that goes a long way, again, to building that relationship, keeping that relationship with your patients. Exactly. If you're able to reach out to your patients and say, we heard that it was frustrating to wait on hold. So now we've changed the way we're scheduling our virtual appointments. Or we heard from you that you really wanted to understand how our office is now working in terms of the safety measures that are being put in place. Here's a summary of that. All of these little communication, I think, opportunities can make such a big difference. The second idea that we wanted to talk about today is the idea of group visits. Virtual visits are typically thought of as a primary care provider, either a GP or an NP, and a patient. But they really don't have to be limited to this. Uh, and it's very possible to bring other people into virtual appointments. Morgan, I know you've worked to set up kiosks to make virtual care more accessible to your patients. And we talked about the setup uh, of these in season one. I'm wondering how they've been wor working and how you're engaging in group visits for patients with other providers, if, if at all. Sarah, I think this is an important thing with virtual care is it's actually easier to do some group visits. And a couple of ways that we've done this so uh, for people who have heard the the previous episode, we've got a kiosk set up, multiple kiosks in different shelters. So I will often do visits with some people who are working at the shelter with patients so they have their advocate with them, and then I'm seeing them virtually in a group. And that's not too dissimilar to how I did things before, where we might have a larger group session, all of us in person. The other way that we've been using the group is to have people from different locations all virtually connect. So a patient might be going through the kiosk, I'm in my basement, and then a third member of the team, another provider might be connecting in as well. So there's a couple of different ways that we've been able to do that. And it is actually easier to coordinate that kind of group visit than it has been doing some of those face-to-face, -face, especially when I do outreach. Well, and especially as far as scheduling goes when you're trying to schedule things in with different providers, if you're trying to get everyone into the same place, even without COVID, that would be really challenging a lot of the time. So you're able to have virtual co-location, I think. Now, what, what I haven't done is group visits where there are multiple patients in the group. And we talked about that with uh, Alison Ezet, a phys physiotherapist and postdoctoral fellow with the BC Primary Healthcare Research Network. Allison has also been running a monthly COVID-19 survey for physiotherapists to really get a pulse on what's happening in the profession across Canada. She actually has been doing these kind of group visits with multiple patients. And that's the next idea we wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think one of the big changes in physio that has resulted from the pandemic is this shift to more virtual care. In my first survey in May, 79% of physiotherapists who responded said they were doing some type of virtual care and majority of that for 80% was by video. And so this is a huge change. What probably to me is even more interesting is we still have over 50% of respondents to the survey said they are doing some virtual care. And most of those people are now doing a combination of in-person care and virtual care. And I think it's sort of opened up this opportunity for the profession. I think the personalized, individualized exercise prescription, which is, again, that 
bread and butter of what physios do is really possible in a virtual visit. And actually, there's an advantage there to watching them do it in their own environment at home. Allison has also been involved in some really innovative work in the delivery of the group visits. I do group virtual classes as well for people with knee and hip osteoarthritis. And so that certainly, again, has been very different than doing them in person, which is what I did before the pandemic. But in the virtual class, we have six participants maximum. And I, so I have them all on my screen where I can see each of their windows. We have eight stations and people are all individually modified so that everyone's version of exercise one is slightly different. And one thing she really describes here is the learning opportunities within these group visits with patients hearing and learning from their own feedback as well as the feedback that's directed at, at other patients in the group is really an advantage. Allison does bring a great example up here. And I think it's important for people to remember if you've been doing groups in person before, the same advantages are happening online. It's a bit different for sure, but you're getting this connection that's still happening and that peer learning and peer support. So this wraps up our episode. There's a lot of opportunities here for innovation. Think about bringing the the relationship intentionally back into the virtual visits that you are doing, either on the phone or by video, and think about some of these other options of how to pull in other providers or uh, groups of patients into group visits. So we'd like to thank Carolyn Canfield, Kent Lofsgaard, Grace Scholler, and Allison Ezzett for their contributions to this episode. Allison's also continuing to run her monthly survey and a physio patient survey, and a link to those is going to be in the show notes. As always, please feel free to reach out and let us know if there's anything that you would like us to think about and focus on in an episode. You can reach out at isu at familymed.ubc.ca. Thanks, everyone. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 